So we want to thank you guys for coming out. It was originally supposed to be for parents, right? And addiction, which is crazy within itself that we are at a point that we have to talk about. But that's the truth. Many of us used at an early age. I know I did. Just to tell you a little bit about myself and the value to tell you a little bit. I started using around nine and a half, I believe. I don't remember if it was nicotine or alcohol. But I found my choice of drug, or it found me, or led to me, or whatever, which was angel dust at 12. And that was back in like 77, 78. I'm not saying my age, but <laughs> I got some years on there. And in any event, I went through all of that life. I mean, I must have spent maybe a week sober the most till I became a Christian. And when I became a Christian in the early 90s, alcohol wasn't real big in the church. It was almost like it was prohibited. And we knew disciples drank, but it was not out. It wasn't any of that stuff. The kids wasn't exposed to it. It was a whole different atmosphere. Today we're dealing with a different church. We, we, we know and we learned some things and we, we have our freedom to do some things. So tonight we're going to touch on some things and we're going to help some parents on how to handle that. I know my mom probably had a hard time with me, <laughs> you know, using all these years and all of that stuff. But I'm grateful that I had an old school mom. She put it on me. She really put it on me. And when she couldn't put it on me, she went and got my dad to put it on me. But even with all of that, that old strict Puerto Rican lady, I still was able to go out there and send her. But the good thing about it is she taught me at 16, if you want to live like this, you can't be here. And that kind of helped me mature real fast. I never got an opportunity to go back, but she did get an opportunity to see her son sober, living, married, kids, before she died. So I'm, I'm particularly grateful for the CR ministry. How many of you guys here from CR? Stand up. All of you. And we're sober and we're clean and all that. Good evening. Um, I think my usage started, I had to be like six or seven years old because my parents used to have car parties. You know, the parents had the car parties, right? And from, for the most part, we had to be in the back, in the um, room. Like, you know, when parents have company, you go to the back. But because I was a daddy's girl, I would convince my father to allow me to come in the, in, into the party and sit on his lap. And they would uh, be drinking, mostly beer, and he would have his glass in front of him, and I would sip it. He would let me sip it. And they thought it was comical, amusing, you know, that I was sipping it and I was laughing, you know, but you begin at that early in age. You know what I'm saying? And what I, re I received it from my parents. It wasn't like I was going outside and being influenced. I was influenced right in my own home. And even in, later on, as I progressed to different drugs, I started smoking marijuana, sniffing cocaine, smoking crack. All of that happened within my family units. I didn't have to go searching. It was right there available to me. And I think um, the only thing that kept me from going further was, like, Troy had a strict 
Puerto Rican mother. I had an extremely strict black father. And fear of him kept me from really going uh, as far as I could have gone or I think that I would have gone. You know, that healthy fear was a healthy fear and I'm grateful for it because it kept me from really being like totally out there. And I think I remember the day that I realized that I had an addiction. Um, I wasn't feeling good, and I still wanted to get high. And then, you know, when I was getting high, I never really looked at myself. You never really look. You just figure you're functioning, you're okay. But I looked at myself in the mirror, and I looked terrible. I looked like skeletal. And I had never really seen myself. I'd never really seen the effects that the drugs had on me. And I looked at myself in the mirror and asked myself, was I done living? Was I ready to die? Was my, you know, was I ready for my life to be over? And I wasn't, but then I really didn't see any light at the end of that tunnel. I really didn't see me being able to not get high. I couldn't see myself sober until I got invited to come study the Bible and God just worked miracles in my life. Miracles in my life, and it has been 30 years sober. 30 years sober, and I thank God for every day. Amen. So, so Troy and I both talked about how young we were when we started using, and we're going to show a quick video about how parents are feeling about their young children and their usage. She had an excuse, the oldest excuse of the book, oh, they belong to my friends. For everything I could ask her about, there was a story. Her schoolwork declined. She changed clothes. She changed friends. Moody, argumentative. He was definitely acting out. I became the enemy, and everything I did was wrong. I wasn't even thinking in my mind that it would be addiction. There are a lot of parents who just don't understand that... This problem is bigger than us. It's everywhere. It touches everybody. Um, so while they're giving out the handouts, I'm just going to read some um, statistics about underage usage in the United States. And I'm going to start with alcohol. 35% of 15-year-olds have consumed alcohol in their lifetime. 10% of 8th graders drank some amount of alcohol in the past 30 days. 30% of high school students drank some amount of alcohol in the past 30 days. 68% of 12th graders have tried alcohol at least once. 8.7 million people aged 12 to 20 consumed alcohol in the past month. People aged 12 to 20 drink 11% of all alcohol consumed. 52% of 10th graders um, find it easy to obtain alcohol. Okay, so when someone starts out drinking, he or she feels relaxed, confident, happy, sociable. We know that. It, it just opens you up. The pleasurable effects of alcohol are undeniable. It makes it easy to forget about the negative effects. Slow reflexes, reduced coordination, warped thinking, poor judgment, impaired memory from buzz drinking, impaired motor functions, and plenty more impairment. These negative effects occur every single time one drinks, even a single beer. The more one drinks, the stronger these negative effects. 
Over time, the body becomes damaged from drinking, more damaged than you probably know. In fact, alcohol can cause several types of cancer. Aside from bodily harm, alcohol use has been linked to depression, anxiety, societal withdrawal, violent behavior, an increase in unprotected sex, an increased risk of motor vehicle accident, suicide, injury, domestic violence, and even drowning. Okay, let's go to marijuana. Marijuana is considered one of the top gateway drugs. As many teens start with it because there is a prevalent belief that the drug is not harmful. As of 2011, um, as of 2011, teen use of marijuana increased substantially compared to the decade before, according to statistics published by the National Institute of Drug Abuse. So here's the statistics. Since 2000, marijuana use statistics by teenagers has been increasing constantly. About 22% of 12th graders admit that they've used marijuana in the past month. Statistics for 10th and 11th graders aren't as high but are equally as concerning. Approximately 6.6% of 12th graders admit to using marijuana every single day. Teens have access to synthetic marijuana, which may contain many dangerous ingredients. Okay, so THC is the chemical compound in marijuana responsible for the euphoric high. THC attaches itself to the receptors in the brain that affect the person's memory, pleasure, movements, thinking, concentration, coordination, and sensory and time perception. The average THC content of marijuana has soared from less than 1% in 1972 to 3 to 4% in the 1990s to nearly 13% in 2010. Today, some retail marijuana has 30% THC or more. The increased potency makes it difficult to even determine the short and long-term effects of marijuana. Young users whose brains have not fully developed suffer setbacks in executive function capabilities such as decision making, memory, understanding risk, which is why they do the crazy things they do, and impulsiveness. Even those who smoke marijuana occasionally suffer from cognitive setbacks for days after the obvious high has worn off. Teens who regularly abuse marijuana suffer permanently reduced IQs into adulthood, even if the user stops smoking after reaching maturity. In addition, people who smoke marijuana are more likely to be involved in an auto accident. The number of DUI arrests reached a record high, according to the Christian Science Monitor. This risk rises even more if the person abusing marijuana has also been drinking alcohol. So we're going to go to opioids. Uh, we all know that the opioid epidemic is on the rise. Um, when people can't afford opioids anymore, they turn to the cheaper drug, which is heroin. The heroin overdose number is on the rise because the heroin is now being laced with fentanyl. It's estimated that between 26.4 million and 36 million people abuse opioids worldwide. An estimated 2.1 million people in the United States suffered from substance abuse disorders related to prescription opioid pain relievers in 2012, with an estimated 467,000 addicted to heroin. The total U.S. drug deaths, more than 64,000 Americans died from drug overdoses in 2016, including illicit drugs and prescription opioids, nearly double in a decade. And I don't have a slide for nicotine, which I wanna, I'm going to do, so please just listen. Okay, tobacco use is the leading cause of preventable disease, disability, and death in the U.S. Nearly 40 million U.S. adults smoke cigarettes and about 4.7 million middle and high school students 
use at least one tobacco product, including e-cigarettes. Every day, more than 3,800 youth younger than 18 years smoke their first cigarette. Each year, nearly a half a million Americans die prematurely of smoking or exposure to secondhand smoke. Another 16 million live with a serious illness caused by smoking. That might have been a lot of, a little boring, but it's real. I, I think one of the things when we were studying this stuff out, that was, um, do y'all have the pantheless now, the warning signs and all that? Because we're going to quickly go through it. But one of the things that stood out is back in the 70s, the THC level or marijuana was maybe 1 to 10 percent, 1 to 8 percent. Now it's 30 percent. And we're coming up to a time where, you know, the mayor any time can legalize marijuana. And then our kids are going to be like, we can smoke. <laughs> we can do marijuana, you know. And, and it's like what they don't see to make it competitive, they throw all that THC on it. And the effect of it, like I have friends that, that was part of Woodstock, lawyers and, and clients of mine and that kind of stuff. And they all talked about doing it. But they went on to live successful lives because it was pretty much a bush, a leaf. But now you have all this THC on it, and if you look at your children, if they're using, or your neighbors, or people, you know, children on a train, you know, it's like, what are they doing? They're not even focusing, they're not even dressed anymore. I'm like, man, I was a, I, I was a clean drug addict. <laughs> These guys stink! <laughs> like, don't take a shower, man, go do something! But the THC level, what all that marijuana is laced with is taking away their lives. Mm -hmm. And I know I, I grew up with the best teen kids, I mean the best children in the church. You wouldn't, I mean Pam and Antoine, Michelle, everybody, nah, my kids are great. They're going to be awesome kids. But when they hit their teen years, they develop a character and an attitude. I was like, what? I'm about to kill these kids in plenty of times. Pops was at doors. I would come to church not even feeling like a Christian. And, and I'm not saying they were using anything like that, but this is the battle we have to deal with with our kids. Imagine if they start using. It's like, so what I have found, let's look at uh, some of this paperwork. It says, look for the warning signs. Right? You have your Bibles, right? So it says, look for the warning signs. Right? And it says, figuring out if your child is using drugs or alcohol can be challenging. Many of signs and symptoms are at times typical teens or young adult behavior. Many are also symptoms of mental health issues, including depression or anxiety disorders. Explore our parent drug guide for even more substance. So I gave this to y'all so y'all could do the homework on your own. But as a, a, as a Christian, as a, as a mother, or as a father raising your kids, the Bible teaches in what? First Peter, right? 5.8. It says, be alert and of sober minds, that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, if I came up to your kid and I took your kid and I started choking your kid, and your kid was like literally choking and he's turning blue. What would you do? You would attack me. You would go after me. You would try to kill me with your bare hands. 
I know I would do it. It's like, I would go off. But in practical terms, if something is taking the youth away from your child, taking the life away from your child, the happiness away from your child, the relationships away from your child, everything that you have put into that child is being snatched away. You would do everything you could to do it. The problem though, is we're not alert. We can fall into that category when we're not alert. Why? Because we have phones. We have jobs. We have social media. We have sports. We have all of these different distractions that takes us away from being alert. And I know it's like, my kids are grown now. But I, you know, I get my granddaughter and I'm like, Get off that phone. <laughs> Hang out with Papa, man. Like, I'm here. <laughs> you know? So it's like all of this stuff just pulls it away and distracts us, and we don't be alert. And our kid is just maturizing into something we never expect. Like, man, Pam and Antoine, them used to tell me, you wait till them kids become teens. And when they became teens, I was the worstest dad you can even imagine. It hit me. Like really hard, you know, so thank God they're doing well, they're back to college and all that kind of stuff, but it was like really challenging. So imagine with all of this distraction these days, you know, social media, sports, all of that stuff. And then the next one, they talk about prepare to take action if you suspect your teen or young drug use. What do you do if my kid is using drugs? That's a question we all have, right? And I know because I'm the CR guy, so many parents come up to me and go, my kid is, I think my kid is using drugs, what to do? I'm like, but it says, if you have just discovered or have reason to believe your child is using drugs, the first thing to do is sit down and take a deep breath. And I mean that literally. Don't be like me and lose your head. Sit down and think about, okay, what am I going to do with this situation here? Because most of our kids is crazy anyway, without using drugs, right? But now you start seeing some stuff, and you don't know, because it can be like, now you, you, you're blaming me for using drugs? Like, what are you talking about? And the kid can be totally innocent, but it's like, we, we, our kids are crazy. So you have to go, so what do you do with that situation? They're crazy, generally, at teens, hormones bouncing, and then they're using but you don't know which one it is. That's why you got to do your homework on it. But it says, um, you know, we know it's a scary time, but you're in the right place. Before you intervene, take time to prepare yourself for the important conversation ahead and to lay the foundation down for positive outcome. Right? This, when you look at Luke 8, 14, it says, The seed that fell among the thorns stand for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pledges, and they do not mature. When you look at your kid and your kid stop maturing, stop doing things, that's an alert that you should be focused on. You should go after it. It's hard raising them to follow Christ. And we put a lot of spiritual seeds in that child's life. But there's a force that's trying to take it away. So what happens as we battle this fight, we lose heart. We just, we just fall off. And the legend sits down and the Bible says, do not grow weary from doing good. 
so many people come up to me and I start gently telling them what to do and applying it from my own life experience. But that becomes hard. That becomes very hard for them. And they lose heart. They pull away. They just disappear with it. You know, I had an incident recently and I was like, it's time for consequences. Who wants to hear to deliver consequences to your kid? Nobody want to hear it. But it's the truth. My mom at 16 told me, you know, I came home, I was locked up for the weekend, I came out, she was like, where were you? And I was like, none of your business. And I came out that shower, she was like, I don't know what I bought you. Take it all. You're out. But that was the best thing that Puerto Rican lady could have done for me. And I couldn't go to my dad, Rico, because he was even crazier. But I was in the streets, and I, and I was slowly hitting where I needed to hit. But they did not, we as parents cannot grow weary. We just have to keep it up. We can't give up. We got to keep digging and keep digging. And we can't get frustrated. And in Proverbs 27:12, it says, The prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. What's prudent means? It means wisdom, right? What refuge means? It means protection. The prudence means wisdom and protection. We have to get wise into the protective mode. We have to keep going. We can't be conflict avoiders. You need to stand there with that child and you need to be ready to duke this fight out. Because with God, we can do it. That child cannot take over your life. You are going to win no matter what. I don't care if the outcome is bad. It got bad by you fighting. It got bad with you fighting. You just didn't give up. It's something you will regret for the rest of your life. Because you always would think, I could have did more. When my little brother got murdered, I always thought, I could have did more. I should have did more. I should have been a a better example. I shouldn't have went to jail at an early age. I should have did this. It will haunt you for the rest of your life. So you have to fight. You have to keep going. You cannot give up or grow weary in doing it. And then when you discover that team <laughs> using drugs, turn your Bibles to Luke 15, 11, 24. The Bible says in Luke 15, 11, there was a man who had two sons. The young one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided up his property between them. And not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to feed his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's high servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I was set out and I would go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your highest servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, 
bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For his son, this son of mine, was dead and he's alive again. He was lost in his father. So he began to celebrate. So now you went through all of this. You find out that your kid is using and it's a fact. What do you do? This guy, this little Jewish boy, got real cocky. He went to his dad and said, I want all my money. I want all my estate. I want everything. I don't see in the Bible where his dad tried to convince him not to. I don't see where he fought or did anything his dad said, okay, the Jewish tradition, yeah, get your money, go. He didn't stop him and he let him go. See, it might have the hurt, might disappoint you, might change you, might make you uncomfortable, it might do all of that stuff. But the father allowed him to grow, to experience the consequences of his decisions. In this story, we see the consequences starting in verse 12. We see he had self-will. In verse 13, we see he was selfishness, separation, and no sensuality. In verse 14, it was spiritual destruction. In 15, self-invasion. In verse 16, starvation kicked in. In verse 17, realization happened. In 18, resolution. 19, repentance. And 20, return, reconciliation. And 22, you see the reclothing. And 23 and 24, you see the rejoicing. But that, for us, is recovery. Amen. Every one of us knows is recovery. But he went from being that son that thought he could live a life on his own terms and went to hit bottom. Sometimes we have to allow our kids to hit bottom. Yes. Some of it is just they got caught, they got dealt with because they probably used because of peer pressure. They didn't want to use anyway and that's all it took. But some of them are defiant. Some of our children, they want to keep going with it. And that's when you make that hard decision to follow the scripture and trust in God. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. To have faith and to have hope and to have love, you have to draw that strength from God. As much as we encourage you to talk to each other and talk to one another and do all of that, ultimately you have to go to God for that strength. To have faith when you see your kid is going crazy, you know, or to have even hope that your kid is going to make it to But love needs to drive you to keep going, to make those hard decisions, to make those decisions to see God's strength work in all of it. But you have to, no matter what, draw that strength from God. As much as we do with each other, you have to go to God in tears, like I did, and everything else, and on your knees, or, or your hands up, or laying, whatever you do, say, God, help me have these virtues. I can't do it on my own. I have to go through it. A lot of times we just give up, and we allow it to keep going. You don't want to do that, right? No. You can't do that, right? Now we have another responsibility as a church, as, a, as America, as a nation, is to be the example we need to be for our kids. Right? 
we already know that the world is trying to take them. We know that the seeds we planted, they want to rip out because of life worries and pleasures. We know that. We understand that. That's the force we're dealing with. Now as parents and as church, as a nation, we have to be the example we need to be for our kids. Now this is where you hate me at. First Corinthians 10.23 Now we're going to have some fun, right? In 10.23-24 NIV version It says, I have the right to do anything, you say But not everything is beneficial I have the right to do anything But not everything is constructive No one should seek their own good But for the good of others as Christians, one of our roles is to bring out the best in each other. The best you can get out of it. I'm so glad I have relationships where they pull and call me higher to bring out the good in me. The Bible doesn't prohibit the consumption of alcohol. There's no prohibition there, right? But we have to make sure that we partake in what is permissible and we do not hurt the faith of our brothers and sisters. We're not here. You are not, we're not here as a church, as a nation, as America, to do our, to seek our own good. This world wasn't built on that. This church wasn't built on that. And if y'all remember, we shared our faith for three hours in the night. <laughs> we wouldn't come home till we had somebody study Bible with. Because we thought about the lost souls of the world. And in fact, sometimes we shouldn't be thinking about our kids' souls. But we went out there diligently because we wanted to bring good to the Bronx, to New York, to Harlem, to Manhattan, to Brooklyn, to Queens. And we still had the faith that we was going to change this world. And we should still have that faith. But it's to seek after our own good, but also to protect our brothers and sisters. That is important. We have the right. It's permissible. But we can't use what's permissible to hurt our brothers. Yes. We have to think about what's good for them. In Romans 4, 19, 21, the King James Version, if you have one of the Bibles that go to versions, this is interesting because the NIV is a little different. I like the King James Version the way it says. It says, let us therefore follow after the things which make peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God, all things indeed are pure. But it is evil for the man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to do what? Drink wine, nor anything whereby that brother stumble or is offended or is made weak. See, this, Paul goes to them and says, Yeah, look, man, these Jewish guys, they're becoming Christians. Yes, 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 yes. And then they come to the vets and they're like, They're eating meat? They even pork? How can that be? Like, we don't do that. They're not spiritual people at all. But Paul's saying, look, to these guys catch up, you give up your right to eat that pork. It's not the land of it's the law of love. It's not what's permissible anymore. He's saying that you give up your right for the love of your brother till he catches up, so he will not stumble, so he will not fall. It's the law of love. 
It says, we got to make every effort to be our brother's keeper. If your drinking causes your brother to stumble, would you be willing not to drink? That's a challenging question, right? Because now, nowadays, nowadays, I find it hard for me to go places. I want to go to the Super Bowl, but I know Coronas are going to be there. I want to go to the boxing match, but I know Coronas are going to be there. I want to go just hang out with my brother, but he drinks wine coolies. It's like I feel like I'm in the world. When I came into church, if you wasn't doing what I was doing, you were the most corniest person there was. And I am on my first event. I went to the Harlem party, right? And the brother just was belting for me, wanted to make sure. And this brother was getting engaged with his girlfriend. And he had a Star Trek suit on. And I'm saying, I am not going to make it at all. He's still faithful. I don't think the wife is. But he had a Star Trek suit on. Sweating. And I'm sitting by this girl like this. And he comes to holler and starts proposing. And I'm like, I'm out of here. This is the practice thing. Crazy, they're corny, they're everything. In my mind, you were cut off. For me to have a good time, I had to drink. I had to smoke angel dust. I had to put something up my nose. Sober, I could not do that. Now, it's, I feel like I'm in the world. We're behaving like we're in the world. So now, where would I go? What would I do? As much as I love Amy, right? going to be sitting there with her and she's going to be rooting Golden State, which I don't like. I like LeBron. I'm like, man, I don't want to be with her. <laughs> I want to be with the brothers. I want to be having fun with them. I want to be throwing things. She's sleeping. Golden State won yet? <laughs> like, it's, it's, not, it's not happening. <laughs> but you got to consider the law of love. You have to make loving choices. You can't ask somebody, hey, can you pick me up a bottle of Corona on the way? How you know I don't take that bottle of Corona and drink it? You already just jeopardized my survival. So we have to be wise about what we do, how we approach it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8 9, be careful. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. When we have events where there's drinking and invited non-Christians, what do we do? Right? Say we have Bible talk. They come in there, we're passing drinks around, we're doing this. They say, hey, you got to drink, it's Christ, and you're drinking this and that. Then we start studying the Bible with them. And then we go, wow, you have a lot of alcohol that's connected to your sin. How do we turn back around and say, you can't drink anymore? We don't gave them the drink. We don't have it accessible. It's all real. It's like, how do you come back from that? See, that's why the Bible says you don't put a stumbling block in your way. That you exercise your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. But you don't even know if that person is weak or not weak. But your freedom is already dealt with something that's going to come back to hurt you and hurt that person. Because now you got to get through you can't drink and why you can't drink and try to explain why you were drinking. See, the, the church is a hospital for the sick. People 
come here to feel good. People come here to feel protected. If I came into Bible talk or a party or some event that's happening, right? I never drunk. But my, my dad drunk and beat my mom. Now, I see these alcohols laying around. I don't feel safe anymore. Because all of these memories are popping back up. You just became a stumbling block for that person. Now, you look at the Bible in the Old Testament. That's what's really serious. And we could take those examples and we can use them. In Genesis 9, 20, 25. God wants us to lead with sober minds. And I'm not talking about the evangelist, the Bible talk leader. I'm talking about you as a dad. You as a person that's an example on your job. We're all royal priesthoods today. So we're all leading by our lifestyles. So God asks us to lead in Genesis 9, 20 to 25. It says, Noah, a man of soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. This guy, he's been stuck on that boat how long? And he comes off and what does he do? Plants a wine press. He starts planting a vineyard. This is what the first thing he does. It's like breathe first. Experience of the air. Walk around. Enjoy it. He's like, yo, let's get the grapes. Let's do this. And he starts planting his vineyard. When he drank some of his wine, he became drunk. And he lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across his shoulders. Then they walked in the back backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine, his wind, wine, his wine, and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Curse be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will be to his brothers. What should have been a good time of joy and unity, because God figured, I'm straightening things out. Right? These are, these are the surviving people here. These are the ones that's going to make it happen again. We're going to see the fruit of my birth. It should have been a, 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 a good time of joy and unity, caused one of his sons to be cursed and torn that family apart. That's what his drinking did. That's what alcohol did. To our brothers and sisters years ago. It took something God away. You can ask your children, what's no art? They'll tell you. But if you go on to tell your kids the rest of the story, it gets dim. It gets sad. This son is cursed. Now the family's torn apart. He's treated like one of the lowest ones. So you can continue reading the Bible and you'll see nothing but fights. Because of a decision to be drunk. To build a wine press. To make a vineyard. In Genesis 19.30, you look over a little bit longer, you see two cities burnt down, right? Gone. Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot and his two daughters left Zor and settled in the mountains. For he was afraid to stay in Zor. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old and there is no man around here to give us children. As is in the customer all over the earth. Let's get our father to do what? Drink wine. And then slipped and then slept with him and per- sleep with, <laughs> with <laughs> and, and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine 
And the older daughter went in and she did what? Slept with her. Now that was one night, right? That's terrible enough. And sensuous relationship there, right? Because there's drunkenness. And then the next night he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I slept with my father, let's get him to drink wine again. Tonight, and you will go and you will sleep with him so he can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter slept with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she laid down or when she got up. So both of my daughters became pregnant by their father. I mean, you must have been a drunk. It's not one night. But it was the second night. I wonder what the third night produced, or the fourth night produced. But it was continuous drinking. Because of my drink, drunkenness, he had sex with both of his daughters, impregnated them. One of the first things he did was that. So you think about it. That family must have had horrific changes after that happened. What they should have done was trust in God. What we should do is trust in God. We have to trust that if we don't drink to have a good time, we don't need alcohol to do this stuff, that God will produce in you a pleasure. I go to Bible talks now and I'm fine. It's not corny to me anymore. It's none of that stuff. I don't need alcohol to have fun anymore. I can have it. So then even after that, after the establishment, God went and he established 12 tribes. Let's look at how alcohol played a role in that kingdom. Isaiah 5.11 and I read, it says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after drinks, who stay up late at night to they are inflamed with wine. One of the most dead indications that you have a problem is if you wake up drinking. And you go to sleep drinking. Yeah. Oh, I need to just wake up and have a, a glass of wine. Just to get me through the day. I had a hard night. And then you come home, I need to just wake up and have a glass of wine. Just to go to sleep. See, the Bible is clear on, in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit does that job. Not wine. Not none of that stuff. But the Spirit. But it's taking away your spiritual growth and you don't even know it. Because now you took away prayer to get through the day. You took away prayer to get in the house. I mean, Will, Will Cardo used to say, bro, before you go home, take a walk around the block. Because you got attitudes. And it's true. Because I used to use drugs to get home. I come home real happy, throwing the kids around, doing all kinds of stuff. And now I'm sober, I'm like, get away from me. Like, give me alone. Let me watch the terrible news. Let me do something. <laughs> you know? I don't want to do anything. Let me just sit here. You know, and I remember Dave Martin had a conversation with Amy. How's Troy doing? And she was like, he's horrible. He's doing X, Y, Z. And if anybody knows Amy, she's very quiet and stuff. But she was really forefront with him. He calls me up, how you doing, bro? We didn't have cell phones, we only have phones. <laughs> how you doing, bro? I'm great. I'm all right. He's like, don't ever lie to me again. Wow. You're having a horrible time. You're having a horrible time because you miss using. See, the first thing you got to do is dig deep within yourself and even see 
you have an issue. But you have to be truthful with yourself. You cannot just exclude it. You gotta ask yourself, do I have an issue? Do I drink a little bit too much? Let me give you a hint. Go home and see how much alcohol you have. Friday you get paid, see what you buy. Just, just be truthful with yourself. See what you buy and then ask yourself, let me go to some of them, not them CR gurus. Let me go to a friend that loves and trusts me, that doesn't drink. Do I got an issue? But just do that. I encourage you to do it. Because if you come to me, I'm going to say, you got an issue. I'll tell you what. He said, you're drunk, you need to be in CR, you got an issue. It's very clear. It's not, it's not cross with me, it's not, we ain't got to talk a long time. You just need to go with a bunch of peers that's like you, that drink a lot, and that can help each other. And that's CR. The Bible says in Isaiah 5.22, it says, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions of mixing drinks. These are judges of men. These are heroes, the Bible says. And God is saying, woe to them. These are our heroes who's making judgments. That's drinking wine. Going on, going into it. That even accepts bribes. See, alcohol ruins the integrity. It destroys you. It destroys anything that you go through. And then Isaiah 28, 1-4, and we look at woe to the leaders of Ephraim and Judah, it says, Woe to that reef, that pride of Ephraim's drunkenness, to that fading flower, his glorious beauty set on the head of the fertile valley to that city, to that pride of those made low by what? Wine. See, the Lord has one who is powerful and strong, like a hailstorm and a destructive wind, like a driving rain and a flooding downpour. He would throw it forcefully to the ground. The reef, the pride, Ephraim's drunkenness would be trampled underfoot. The fading flower, his glorious beauty, set on the head of a fertile valley. It would be like figs ripe for harvest. As soon as the people see them and take them in their hand, they swallow them. Now this is our leadership. This is who we are. What people see in our leadership, that's what they'll imitate. When people look at your lives, they're going to imitate. So when you're at your job, hey, I'm a Christian, but you're doing the things you do, and you're leading as a boss or any kind of capacity as one that follows Christ, that Christ set you up to put you there, to bring them to Christ, they're going to imitate that. Which they, they should be imitating the glory in you, the faith in you, the power in you. And even if you're leading a group, a small group, you have to think about your usage among them. Because that's what they'll imitate. When your kids grow older, what's susceptible in a home is what they're going to grow after. So for you, you're matured. You're, you're handling it. But when they get to college, they don't lost their mind. You have your first drunk in the family. Or maybe not. Maybe the drunkenness was imitated from you. So you have drunk number two. And then there's drunk number three. And then there's drunk number four. That cycle continues to go. 
But they, they'll imitate you. I'd rather you Im- they imitate absence. Not using it all. Amen. To give that kid that shot. All right, let's wrap it up. But I want you to study out Isaiah 28, 7, 8. I want you to study out Proverbs 21. Let's go to Proverbs 20, verse 1. It says, Wine is a mocker and a beer, a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Right? Now, I believe with all of the advertising, this nation is deceived by alcohol. The whole nation. And it's starting to trickle down into God's kingdom. And it's, it's one of the most dangerous drugs because of the susceptibles. See, we drank for happiness, but we became what? Unhappy. We drank for joy and became miserable. We drank for sociability and became argumentative. We drank for sophistication and became obnoxious. We drank for friendship and we became enemies. We drank to sleep and became without rest. We drank for strength and was made weak. We drank for medicinal purposes, like Timothy says, drink a little wine, right? And develop health problems. Continue it and your liver will go. Relaxation and got the shakes. Bravery and we became unfraid. Confidence and we became doubtful. To make conversations easier, we started slurring our speech. To forget and it forever haunted us. For freedom and we became slaves. To erase problems just to see them multiply. To cope with life, but we invited death. Alcohol is a marker. It's a deceiver. It does not live up to its promise. That's what we as a church should promote. In Proverbs 23, 29, 31, it says in the NRA, Who has woes? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. We do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, and the end, it bites like a snake, and it bites. That's alcohol. I want you to think of this story. This man sat home, he had an incredible day because he just watched his daughter graduate. And she goes out with her friends, she's going to have a good time, he kisses her, and then he gets a phone call later that night. Somebody says, are you such and so and so? And he's like, yes. Do you have a daughter named such and so and so, about the age of this? He says, yes, man, get to the point. Well, I want you to come down to the hospital. He's like, why? Just tell me what's going on. Well, we want you to see someone in the morgue. That ain't my daughter. It can't be my daughter. So he gets in his car, he drives to the hospital, he works his way through the hospital to the morgue, and as they pull out this freezer, and they pull up that sheet, and he looks at this mangled body slashed and cut, almost on the record, he knew it was his little girl. And he asks him, how did this happen? And the, the officer says, we don't know, we think they missed the curve. But I could tell you, we found the bottle of whiskey in there, a broken bottle of whiskey. And he says, what? And his grief slowly turned to anger. Who's 
the scum that sold this bottle of liquor to my children. They were nothing but children. How could somebody do that? I would find them and I would rip them apart with my bare hands. And he gets in his car, he's shaking, he's unnerved, he's crying, he's hysterical, he goes home. And he sits and he walks through the door and he looks and he says, let me go take a, a drink to ease my nerves. So he opens up the cabinet and his bottle is no longer there. But a note is there. Daddy, we borrowed your body of whiskey. We would pay it back, we just wanted to have a good time. We have to look at what we are as a nation, as a church. We'll be surprised the harm it causes people. And to God be the glory.